You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Church, y'all can awkwardly make your way out. You're like, oh, when do I get off the stage now? There's death everywhere. Um, we're a community that's centered on Jesus, pursuing connection and redemption through grace, sharing, and exploration. If you're new to Redemption Church, we're really glad you're here. There's a little card in front of you. If you grab that card, fill it out, and drop it in the black box on your way out. We would love to get in touch with you, hear your story, share more about who we are. Um, But this morning, what I want us to do is continue our series on, uh, we're calling it After Death, and it's a series that is answering this big question of, wait, what, what happens after we die? Like, what is it that Jesus is really inviting us to here and now? Like, that matters, and that's important, but we also, like, as human beings, wrestle with this question of what, what happens after this life, and what answers is Jesus give us? What what is he inviting us into then and there? There's actually some really helpful and really profound things that Jesus has to say and that Jesus is doing for us that impact both here and now as well as what happens next. But one of the things that we've talked about is how our centering this conversation of what Jesus has done on the idea of heaven and hell is actually really unhelpful um, and has actually led us into some unhelpful ways of living and unhelpful ways of thinking about who God is and what God is like. And one of the really weird and odd things that this whole conversation has done is it's like made us think about death in a really weird way. And so this morning, what I want to do is like just talk about death, as dire as that sounds. Um, but we're not just talking about it because like information is helpful and it'll just be good if you have the right definition versus the wrong definition. That's not the purpose of this morning at all. The question of what happens when we die is an important question, and in reality, so much of our lived experience, whether you are consciously aware of it or not, is grappling with the shadow of death. So much of your ego, right, uh, your sense of building up yourself, identity, and worth in pursuing whatever trajectory of life you think is going to do that. So much of like that creating a name for yourself, so much of finding meaning in your life here and now is wrapped up in this, our endless running away from death. Death and the question of what happens when we die is not a new thing for humanity. Think about Ernest Becker, an anthropologist and Berkeley professor, says that death is humanity's peculiar and greatest anxiety. Like, dogs aren't just walking down the street going, man, what happens when I die? Like, if I cross the street and a car hits me, uh, what's, what's next? Like, this is something that is unique to humanity. 
And yet, isn't it interesting that in our modern, technologically advanced society, we tuck death away in corners of, like, hospitals and funeral homes? Like, if you think about the human experience, like, what humanity collectively has, has like, undergone, we are unique in the sense that we do not have to face and confront death the way that humans for thousands of years have had to. Even just like a hundred years ago, the number of loved ones that you would have had in your life at this point who would have died would have been astronomically higher than it is today. And you would have most likely watched them die inside of your home because you would have been their primary caretaker. You would have been their doctor, their nurse, and their hospice as you watched this person that you care about die. One in three children didn't make it a hundred years ago. And so that's not a good thing, right? Um, But death was in your face far more than it is today. And recently, in the last several years, I think so much of our collective anxiety, uh, we were having, I I find myself having constant conversations about midlife crises um, these days. I'm 40, don't read into that. Maybe read into that a little bit. Right? If you want to have a conversation with me about midlife crisis, it's a fantastic thing. I highly recommend it for everyone. It's beautiful. It's liberating. You should do it. But in this, like, I feel like the last several years in these conversations, I feel like the last several years, if like, you weren't in a midlife crisis, has kind of forced one on you if you were anywhere in sort of like the realm of adulthood, where you've had to ask real big existential questions of like, wait, is this it? And what is happiness? And what do I want my life to actually mean and do and be? And who's it all about? And in the end, um, what we find is that the last several years of anxiety and the last several years of pandemic deaths and mass shootings, like we could take just those two things alone, and they have taken death and they have put it on our front step in a way that it has not ever been before. And we as a people are collectively living in this fervor of like, what's going to happen when I go to the mall? We're sending our kids to school and going, what's going to happen to my child? Are they safe? They're having conversations at my daughter's daycare. It's a school for zero-year-olds. I know that's not a thing. Okay, calm down. Zero-year-olds to like four-year-olds, and they're having conversations about how are we going to have one entrance to the building? You're just like, the world has gone And so death has been put on our doorstep in a way that it never has been before. And perhaps this is what's going on in our psyches as we all just feel this sense of angst, this sense of anxiety, this sense of fear, this sense of panic. And I want to suggest that while this might be new for us, this is not new for humanity, and that it's actually not new to followers of Jesus that, that part of our problem and as like a collective Western society is we're having to grapple with, we've been handed this weird theology of death, especially if you're grow, you've grown up in like evangelical circles. You've been given this weird theology of death that needs to maybe be undone a little bit and we're gonna talk about that today. But I wanna suggest that the followers of Jesus in the United States today do not have a good theology of death. So a famous pastor died this last week. His name was Tim Keller. He was a pastor in Manhattan, and his, he had pancreatic cancer, had a fairly quick and, from what I understand, fairly painful death. And so if you, if you read in 
not necessarily talking about that itself, but if you want to know what do evangelicals think about death, look at how people talk about his. And there, there, there's a variety of different things out there, but one of the things that you will hear over and over and over and over again is a dismissal of death as a bad thing. That really, this is actually a good thing, and really, we, should, we shouldn't be sad. We should actually be really happy. No, that this is ultimately better that he's died. This is, as some pastors put it, not a funeral. This is a graduation ceremony. He's just leveling up. This is all part of the entrance into a new spirituality, and we have taken death and we have redefined it. And our redefinition of death has tried to make death something good, has tried to make death something mundane, has tried to make death something that doesn't really actually matter all that much. N.T. Wright, a famous New Testament scholar who wrote a fantastic book on life after death. I strongly recommend it so much so that I have extra copies in my office. If you want one, I will give it to you for free. It is that good, that important. I will, I'm begging to give them away. Um, but he says this. <clears throat> we can only wonder at the extraordinary denial that is going on when this is done, talking about our redefinition of death. It amounts to a resolute refusal to tell the truth about the real and savage break, the horrible denial of the goodness of life that every single death involves. And this redefinition, he goes on, denies the central New Testament belief that at the last, death will not be redefined but defeated. And that is a very different thing than saying what Jesus has done is really what, what Jesus has done is he's taken this really bad thing and he's been like, man, there's this really bad thing and I can't really do much about it, but don't worry, when that bad thing happens to you, uh, we'll do something good afterwards. Is that really all that Jesus is offering us? So I want to do a thought exercise because I, I, maybe this is a terrible idea. I tried this on Christine and she was like, oh, this is great because Christine loves togetherness. So Christine's our children's pastor. She is currently uh, in, I don't know where they're at, some camp somewhere with our families. If it's quieter around here, that's because like half of our kids are gone. I got photos of her like shooting lasers at kids. And she was having way too much fun. It was terrifying. Um, but anyway, she loves togetherness. She is all about togetherness. Christine was like, hey, we should do a family retreat. I'm like, Christine, that's a terrible idea. Why would you want to like, go away with people for a long period of time? What are you thinking? No one's going to want to do this. And everyone's like, this is fantastic. I'm like, Christine, I'm so wrong. Anyways, so I did this on her, and, and it was like this thought experiment. I want to do it on you. We'll see how it goes. If it goes wrong, we'll blame Christine together, Okay. So what do you believe about what happens when you die, right? Let's, let's just go with, like, you can do this with your own personal beliefs, but you could also just do this with the stereotypical, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you'll go to heaven when you die. Let's do this together. Are you ready? Okay, so when you die, where does your body go? Do not overthink this, okay? This is not philosophy 101. This is just real simple. Yeah, where does your body go when you die? In the ground, they confidently shouted. Think, I like this. This is good. Okay, so when you die, your body goes in the ground. The traditional Christian understanding of, hey, believe in Jesus, and when you die, you go to where? 
Heaven. Okay, so you die. You believe in Jesus. You die. Your body goes in the ground. You go up to heaven. In heaven, in the presence of Jesus, here's my question. Are you dead? Thank you, Zach McCoy, <laughs> founding, founding pastor of Redemption Church, co-seminary co student. When you die and you're in heaven in the presence of Jesus, are you dead? We should all confidently and emphatically say yes. Wait, so if Jesus has defeated death, why am I still dead when I die and go to heaven? You're right. Do you smell what I'm stepping in here? Do you see what I'm getting at? This is not life. Jesus is offering us and inviting us into something very, very, very different. We're going to talk about what that is exactly next week. But part of our like misunderstanding of this whole idea of what Jesus has done for us is our misunderstanding of death itself. And so thank you for, that was great participation, by the way. You all get a million meaningless bonus points in heaven. Congratulations. So what we have done is we have sneakily and subversively made death life. We have taken death and we have put lipstick on it. Like literally, we do this, right? We put lipstick on it, we put makeup on it, and we put all kinds of chemicals in it. And we go, ah, look, it's life. It's a graduation ceremony. It's a celebration. But our souls know better. I was at a funeral a few weeks ago, um, and it was right at just this very interesting, like it's so much of my past. I grew up in rural Houston, was in like the FFA, and did lots of cow stuff and redneck stuff and the whole thing, right? And so it's like everybody shows up. I'm in like this suit and tie, and they've asked me to read some stuff, and they're in like cowboy boots and buckles and cowboy hats, and they're looking at me like, what is this guy doing? Um, and they're having this conversation about this individual who had had a long bout with lung cancer and had passed away, but it was like a painful and long death. And they were very emphatic that, hey, we are not allowed to cry. We are not allowed to feel the pain that we have lost someone that meant a ton to us. And right in that moment, I wasn't going to be like, well, actually, guys, here's, you know, um, but I just, my heart breaks, and I just, I need us to have permission to look at death and go, no, no. You ache, you mourn, you grieve when you lose loved ones because you have lost something. Death is savage, it is cruel, it is evil, it is not our friend. And so grieve death, mourn death, be angry at death. Yes, absolutely. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus in a world of death. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself, sorry. So real quick overview, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna recover a theology of death and then we're also going to answer the question of, wait, so what do we do with any of this? That's great, uh, we have this different understanding of death now. What in the world do you want me to do tomorrow morning when I wake up? If you wake up, okay, <laughs> sorry, I have a dark sense of, is it, yeah, it's probably wildly inappropriate, that's okay, all right, Genesis 5, so, right, Genesis 5, we're not going to read through the whole thing again, I think you got the picture, some people with some complicated names lived like a really long time, which we have some questions 
uh, but then they all die, except for this one guy who didn't. They're, yeah, I don't know. But anyways, in general, you get the gist. And so I want to take us back really quickly and just unpack a little bit of what Genesis is trying to do. So a long time ago, we were talking about the scriptures, and, and one of the, the helpful suggestions that I want to continue to, to steer you towards is stop reading the Bible like a manual, like a rule book, and start reading it like a universe-building uh, apparatus. Help it rebuild your imagination rather than telling you like, what you ought to do in this situation or that situation. Um, So with this, what is it, how is this text trying to shape our imagination? Genesis chapter 5, we're just going to read the first couple of verses. This is the list of the descendants of Adam. When God created humankind, he made them in the likeness of God, right? So we know the story. Humankind, humanity has been made in the image of God. It is meant to uh, reproduce and spread the image of God, uh, God upon the face of the earth. And the implied like thing that's supposed to happen here is as the image of God spreads upon the face of the earth, so will peace Peace and flourishing, and the key word here in Genesis is blessing. That blessing ought to spread across the face of the earth as humanity spreads across the face of the earth. But something has happened, something has gone wrong. We get to verse 3. And so when Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his likeness. And the suggestion here is that, wait, wait, Adam's likeness is no longer in God's likeness. That something's happened here. And and what is that thing? Well, Genesis tells you, or rather it paints a picture for you. He had a son in his likeness according to his image, and he named him Seth. The days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he lived in peace and blessing and flourished and lived forever and ever and ever. No, he died. And then his son, who was just like him, died. And then his son, who was just like him, died. And then his son, who was just like him, died. And then finally, you get to the end, and there's this guy named Lamech. He's like, here's my son. I'm going to name him Noah, which means rest. And maybe, maybe God will use him to bring us some rest from the curse that has been put on the face of this earth. Not the blessing that has been put on the face of the earth, but the curse that has been put on the face of the earth because everything we touch dies. Paul's going to say it like this. Oh, sorry, hold on, before I get there. The entire current that we exist in is one that is pulling us and sweeping us towards death. And not just like the moment that we, our heart stops beating and our brain starts firing and our lungs stop working. Like, yes, that, but everything is pulling us towards that. The death of our relationships the death of our flourishing, the, the, our capacity to bring goodness and blessing and life into the world. Like, uh, uh, no more has this apparent than when you try and parent a child. <laughs> like, I, I want to bring bre- blessing and life and flourishing to my daughter, and yet, if I'm being really honest, a lot of times I feel like, man, she's going to be in therapy for this right here. Like, this is the time right here. And I'm like, man, but this is the reason I'm in therapy also. Like, what the heck? Maybe I should get a different therapist. I'm just kidding. She's great. Shout out to Virginia. All right. But we live in this world, and this world of death, this kingdom of darkness, one that is ruled by Satan. Speaking of, here she comes. Yeah. (laughs) 
And the New Testament tells us to flee from it, right? So when we see world, we've been taught to think like secular music and rated R movies and don't cuss, right? That's not necessarily what the New Testament's talking about. The New Testament, when it uses this word world, is talking about this world of entropy, this world of decay, this world of darkness and evil and mass shootings and violence and death. For God so loved the world, right? Not the corruption, the violence, and the death, but the people that are trapped in the corruption, the violence, and the death, this giant sweeping current that is pulling us all towards death. We live under the boot of an empire of death. And it follows all the rules of entropy, all the rules of decay, all the rules of death, and our world reeks of death. And the only way to survive is by violence. We live in a world where kill or be kill is the way to get ahead. This is why Jesus says, hey, look, if you want to follow me, here's what it's going to look like. You're going to die. Because following me is so backwards and so other than they're going to do to you what they do to me when you live as life and peace and goodness and flourishing. They're going to persecute you. They're going to imprison you. They're going to kill you. Jesus invites us still, not into the kingdom of death. Jesus invites us into the kingdom of life. What does the kingdom of life look like, Brandon? What do I do? What, right? This is not super complicated. It's a life of love. It's joy. It's joy. Like in a world of darkness and death, Jesus is inviting us to participate and live into joy. It's patience. Something I need a lot of these days with a two and a half year old. <laughs> it's goodness. And the ways that I can be a part of it, how can I foster and flourish goodness, even if it's just in the small corners of my home? How can I make this space good? Self control, it's faithfulness. And it's what the Spirit is doing in us and inviting us into. And we, as the church, if we will follow Jesus into this backwards way, we will live as a colony of life in an empire of death. This is a powerful invitation. Listen to how Paul puts this in in Romans 5. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to give you the highlights to talk about death. And what I want us to, to hear here is how death is directly related to sin And how the fruit of sin, the wages of sin, the the result of sin, the consequences of sin is death. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death entered through sin, so death spread to all people because all sin. And yet, death reigned from Adam until Moses, right? So there's no law, then they get the law, and yet there's still death even without the law, even over those who did not sin in the same way that Adam did. Verse 17, for if by the transgression of one man, Adam, death reigned through the one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ? Do you see how this is not an invitation into morality? This is not an invitation into like, hey, stop saying cuss words. This is an invitation like from actual real putrid death into a way of breathtaking, flourishing, blessed life. It's beautiful and it's good. 
Verse 21, so that just as sin reigned through death, so also grace will reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul goes on in chapter six. Do you not know that if you present your bodies as slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey, either of sin that results in death or of obedience that results in righteousness? So what benefit did you reap from those things that which you are now ashamed of, right? The violence and the power mongering. For the end of those things is death. For the payoff of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, he's not talking about heaven. He's not saying, hey, the, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is heaven. He's saying, no, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is you can live in another way that is life-giving and good and beautiful, a way that will one day fill the entire earth, but until that day, we are called to like stand out as this colony. He goes on in chapter eight. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because how could there be? For the law of the life-giving spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is liberation. This is freedom into life, freedom into peace, freedom into blessedness. James says it this way. Then when desire conceives, I love this picture. When desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin grows up, It gives birth to a baby named death. Hebrews says it this way. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus likewise shared in their humanity so that through death he could destroy the one who holds the power of death, the devil. Right, so it's like, my point here is like, nowhere in the New Testament are you gonna see death described as like, no, no, but it's actually good. Like death is, is, is a positive thing. Final one here, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25. For he must reign, talking about Jesus, Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be eliminated is death. Death is an enemy of Jesus. And death is an enemy of Jesus because he loves you. And death destroys the thing that Jesus loves. So we can, I hope, right through that quick traverse through the scriptures, safely conclude death is not our friend. Death is not life. And the ever-present token of the kingdom of darkness, the icon of the devil, the reality that confronts us day after day, reminds us and tells us that one, we need saving, and two, that we cannot save ourselves. There is nothing we can do about our death. We can push it off for a little while. Like I was literally, as I'm writing the sermon, I'm like, man, I need to go work out. Like I just, I had like several people share that they had um, fathers who died before they were teenagers, and I have heart disease in my family, and I, you know, used to own a gym, but that was a long time ago, and I'm like, man, I just, maybe just go for a quick jog, like take a break, come back to this. Um, anyways, yeah, sorry. So death is not life, but instead, the New Testament bears witness to the fact that Jesus has not redefined death. Jesus has assured us that he will defeat death. So, okay, so since she's here, (laughs) um, daddy loves you very much, yeah, I know, bye-bye. So, so much of this is why we named our daughter Zoe. So, Zoe, it means life. Um, We struggled with infertility for almost a decade. We finally got pregnant. We lost a baby um, in that pregnancy, and we just were pretty convinced, like, hey, we're never going to be able to have a kid, and we finally got pregnant with Zoe, and we're like, what are we going to name her? 
And Gabby was like, Piper, and because of my own evangelical baggage, I'm like, nope, can't do Piper, can't do that one. Um, if you know, you know. <laughs> like, well, we want it to mean something, you know, da-da-da, and, and we settled on Zoe, which means life, and her middle name is Day, which is our reminder of light, and that Jesus is the giver of goodness and life and light. He's not the author of death. He's not the author of, of sin. He is really good. And I know a number of you have struggled with the church and some of what the church has done to you and taught you and said to you. Can I just assure you, my friends, like whoever you are, whatever you're wrestling with, don't confuse the people of Jesus with Jesus. I know that's hard and I know that's messy, but I will let you down. My job is not to be Jesus. My job is to point you to Jesus because I need him as much as you do. And so don't throw Jesus out with the messy people of God. Um, We've gotten off the rails. Thank you, Zoe. I blame you. So why in the world, okay, checking my time. Okay, we're, we're okay. You're like, are we? Are we okay? Um, we have, like, how did we get here? What in the world happened? Um, so what happened was we unhelpfully separated the material world and the spiritual world, right? And this will be uh, sort of familiar with y'all. Um, we have come to coddle death the way that we have in large parts of the combination of this idea of water, modern Western Protestantism is the, the like bent towards evangelism, right? So you have, uh, okay, I'm gonna do the short version of this. So you have this idea that the most important thing for people is to hear the good news of Jesus because their souls is what ultimately matters, not their bodies. And this shift during like the, the late 17th, sorry, the late 18th, 19th century from, hey, Jesus is inviting us into something that material matters now to this idea that, no, none of this material matters. All that matters is saving souls. And revivalism and the first and second great awakening, like all of this stuff has just kind of been brought into our collective psyche and understanding of how the world works. So this summer, we're gonna do a course on how we got here. It's called Jesus in Evangelicalism. And I'm really excited about it, mostly because it's not just gonna be me teaching it. Uh, Maddie Thorpe, who is a historian, she's an amazing human being. She teaches at a classical school up in Northern Houston. She's gonna be partnering with me and we're gonna teach this course together. It'll be four weeks, because it's the summer and I know how y'all are in the summer. Um, It'll be short, it'll be on Sundays, it'll be great and you can learn more about this idea there. But the, the implied idea the theological implications were that your body doesn't matter. All that matters is your soul. So that if all that matters is your soul, death is actually really a good thing. Because at best, your body is like this anchor that's holding you back. At worst, your body is this evil, corrupted, terrible, awful thing that's like infected you with evil. So you need to be liberated from your body, and so death is actually a good thing. And then we wonder why we have body image issues as evangelicals. Can I just tell you that humanness is spirituality, that there is no separation between the spiritual part of you and the human bodily part of you. And this has a lot of really important implications that we won't get into. But the idea that every human being possesses an immortal soul, which is the real part of them, is just simply not what the scriptures teach us. If this was true, then Jesus would have come down and become a soul. 
and not been human, humanly embodied as a material, physical being. Jesus tells us, and we were reminded every Christmas, that your body matters to God. That it makes you human. And so, death is disembodiment. It is the severing of you. It is splitting humanity in two and severing their soul from their physical body. And we'll talk more about this next week, but the implication then is life is bringing those two things back together. So a couple of weeks ago, I, was, uh, I got to go to this pastor's retreat, and we had a room full of pastors who were talking about just being a pastor and what that was like. And the first thing, they had a spiritual director there, and the first thing that they did is they made us all sit in silence for five minutes and just sit, simply said, you're going to sit there. Right? They didn't have this tone. They were much kinder. <laughs> you're going to sit there, and you're going to feel your own body. You had this room full of like pastors, theologians, people who were so concerned about the spiritual life for maybe the first time in their life having to sit in an uncomfortable silence for five minutes, which is a very long time, and just feel their body. How are you breathing? Why? What's your heart doing? Why? Are you tense? Why? What is your body trying to tell you? Right, and this whole like, oh my gosh, of course this matters. Because part of what it means to be a spiritual creature is to be a spiritual creature in a body. You cannot pray outside of your body. So inviting our bodies into prayer is one of the things that I feel like we could maybe do some work on. That like Catholics and Orthodox folks, like people who've been doing this for just ages, are like, oh yeah, we've been doing that for two centuries. Like, oh yeah, cool, 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 awesome. So death is disembodiment. Lawrence, sorry, David Lawrence, a pastor and theologian, says it this way. What is crystal clear from the New Testament is that humanity is only fully alive when their body and their soul are intact. So God fashions humanity from the dirt, and it's not until he breathes life, breath, spirit into them that they become human. So it is both the material and the immaterial together that makes a human being a human being. We're going to revisit that next week. So what do we do with death? I want us just to acknowledge that death is real, which seems so obvious to us, right? But then also that death is a monster. So much of Revelation has been helpful in unpacking my imagination for this reason because some of these like crazy pictures of this, this dragon that's wreaking havoc on humanity, you're like, yes, of course. There's a fantastic clip of, there's this gamer, he invented this game when he lost his son to cancer, who's a Christian, um, and the entire game is about the journey of losing his son, and he won all sorts of awards for it, this is like in 2014, you can Google this, find it on YouTube, and he gives this speech, and in tears, he just talks about the dragon of There's something so right about that. 
that if the good news of Jesus is just an invitation out of, hey, stop doing bad things, like we are missing this incredibly large component of our own helplessness in the face of this dragon of death. I can be as good as I want, but one day you're going to put me six feet into the ground or bury at me at sea, because that would be cool, right? So death is real, and I want us to consider confronting it. My invitation to you as we wrap it up this morning, like actually really wrapping it up this morning, I want us to confront death because I think confronting death invites us into deeper life. One, by just acknowledging the reality that we need saving from, um, but two, I think considering our mortality affects our psychology, right? So this is from uh, a research presented in Personality and Social Psychology Review. I regularly read it. Thank you. There's a few that know me. They're like, wow, that's the biggest load of I've ever heard. Now, I don't regularly read this at all, um, but I thought this was really interesting, and those of you that do read such things can tell me if this is actually legit or not, but they seem to suggest in their study, it's actual psycho- psychological research here, um, that uh, people who have an awareness of their mort- mortality, quote, enhance their physical health and prioritize growth-oriented goals. They live up to positive standards and beliefs, build supportive relationships, and encourage the development of peaceful, charitable communities. They foster open-minded and growth-oriented behaviors. The same study noted that merely passing a cemetery, like if you just like, on my daily walk to work, I pass by a grave, has the potential to make people act in more kind, more compassionate, more forgiving, more inclusive, more charitable, and humbler ways. They concluded that people with a regular reminder of their own mortality are 40% more likely to help someone in need. Acknowledging that we are decaying has a powerful effect on our willingness to be like Jesus our willingness to say we need him, and our willingness to say that we need one another. But there's also more. There's something that the ancient mothers and fathers of our faith understood, Christian monks. Those who would forsake all of their possessions would go and live in the crags and caves of these mountains that were also graves. And many of them who had like forsaken their possessions, one of their sole possessions would be a skull. Isn't that great? That fantastic thing to own. Like, what do you own? I don't, I don't have much. I have the clothes on my back and Fred's head over here. Um, so morbid. But they believed in this idea of memento mori, which is this idea of remembering your own death. And it, it taught them to do several things. One, it reminded them, hey, one day you're going to die. But it also reminded them today, in this day, part of what it means to follow Jesus is to enter his way of life and forsake the empire's way of death which is going to look and often feel a lot like death. Daily death to their ego. Whatever greatness you think you are, you're from dust. To the dust you'll return. So this week I want us to, I really actually, if you can do this, this would be great. I want to have you sit and do this practice. Enter this thought experiment to sit down with a pen in your hands and a blank sheet of paper in front of you. Just imagine you've been given six months. You have six months. An asteroid's greening towards the earth. I don't know. You came back from the doctor, got bad news. You have six months. 
What changes? What's different? What do you let go of? What do you enter into? How does that help you get some clarity on some of these decisions that you're making, some of the stress that's in your life? And then consider, what does this say about the nature of the way that you are living your life? Right? No judgment, but just, a, just an honest assessment. And I want us to collectively right now in this moment together to sit in just a moment in the reality of death and also the reality that Christ has saved us from it. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.